Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's a professional wrestler, actor, stuntman. It's Danny Limelight. How you doing today, Danny? What's up, Miente Alex? What's going on? We here to Rise to the Challenge, baby. I'm here with the United Russian Network World Heavyweight Championship. It's beautiful California. How you doing on your end? We're so doing so good. We are so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what did you like doing growing up? Um, so uh, I'm Puerto Rican from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised. I'm always always representing, even though I'm hardly ever home. Um, <laughs> growing up as a kid, I was you know I was a big fan of professional wrestling. We could start there. You know that was always my childhood dream. Um, I loved movies. You know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money, but one thing that we did do was go to the movies a lot. Um, we'd go watch movies every weekend. Um, so I got to go see some of my favorite, you know, action stars, favorite actors in the cinema. I liked watching movies. Um, and I liked watching at the time, I watched a lot of basketball and baseball. Nowadays, I don't really have time to do like sit down and watch sports. But if I sit down and watch TV or watch sports, I'm watching wrestling. So as a kid, I watched a lot of sports. Now, not so much. What was that movie that kind of you and your family enjoyed watching together? Um, I, I can't pick a movie off the top of my head, like one movie. But one movie that I that really stood to me like when I was a kid was The Matrix. Um, okay. It was the first, first rated R movie I ever saw in theaters. <laughs> my, my aunt actually took me. Um, and the, the coolest thing was Keanu Reeves was my favorite actor, still is one of my favorite actors. Um, but it's because we have the same birthday. So it was so cool to see him as Neo in the Matrix and cool fight scenes and stuff like that. It blew me away. Um, I think that was the movie that really made me want to be an actor. Um, that was the movie that, that I need to do this at some point in my life. You know, it's one of my goals. And then the next movie that I remember seeing that completely like this is acting was Training Day. It's my favorite movie ever with Denzel Washington. He won the Oscar uh, for his uh, role as Alonzo in that film. So that was another one. Um, as a family, um, it has to be the X-Men movie when it first came out. You right. know, I think me, my mom and my dad and my siblings, we probably saw it in theaters like three or four times. You know, I was such a huge <laughs> Marvel fan. Um, but I remember going, it came out, I think it was 2000, right? It was 2000 or something like so that. So long ago. Yeah, <laughs> forever, you know, and just like, I just remember Wolverine, like when he first like pulls his claw out and puts yeah. it to the guy's neck. As he's leaning against the freaking thing at the bar fight or whatever. And that's like, oh, this is so sick. Like, that's Wolverine. <laughs> like, it's so sick. Just when you mentioned X-Men, it's like, I remember watching that when it came out. And it's like, yeah, it was, it was great. if there was many more that came after, I probably don't remember because there's too many of those movies. But yeah. my character, I'm going to be so bad at naming the character, but I can describe it. It's the guy that could shoot fire out of his eyes. Like he couldn't see. Oh, Cyclops. I was going to say Cyclone or something. But that was my favorite character because I saw him like, I need to get glasses like that. That that I'm just sick like that, right? Yeah. Sick glasses. He had some real sick glasses in in, in that movie. That that first X-Men movie was just brilliant. It's such yeah. a classic. Wolverine walking through the metal detector. He breaks it and he pulls out his claws and sticks the middle finger up with the claws. Like it was just... <laughs> You talked about wrestling was a huge part of your childhood. What was uh, like the wrestlers that you grew up watching that were your favorite? The Rock. He was my favorite. You know, uh, just something about how charismatic he was on the microphone, how funny he was, the way that he had all the coolest catchphrases and like always had something slick to say. So definitely the rock. Um, Eddie Guerrero was a very big inspiration to, to me as a wrestler, and even now as a wrestler more so um, having been in the ring with his family and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Uh, Ray Mysterio. Um, you know, I like D generation X. D I used to tell my teachers and suck it. And just, <laughs> you know, the little degenerate kid growing up. So those were like the kind of the, the Shawn Michaels, you know, I grew up. I grew up in that era, Chris Jericho, uh, where the '90s was like the cool part of wrestling. You know, it was the Attitude Era and all the cool stuff was happening. So definitely um, those wrestlers. But uh, the first vivid memory that I have of wrestling was 1997 Bad Blood. I was watching the pay per view um, with my dad, and it's Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, and then like Kane comes out and makes it's the first time you see Kane and like. He's Undertaker's brother all of a sudden. And who is this guy? And he breaks the cage door and he goes in and just whoops on Taker and stuff like that. And I just remember being so emotionally invested into the story. 
that I was like, this is awesome. It reminded me of movies, but with like contact sports, like mm-hmm. go watch a theater play, but they're really beating up each other. I was just <laughs> so invested. And I was like, I need to do this. Like, this is so cool. But I was a small little kid from Brooklyn. You know, I, I had no idea how to even start wrestling. So it was just a childhood dream. You know, I never thought it would ever transpire. I wrestled, play fighting with my friends and my dad and cousins and, you know, stuff like that. But I never thought and that it would be possible, you know. With the background with sports that you did play, did that kind of get you going thinking, okay, maybe I could go in that route in the future? Or if I wanted to be an athlete, I'm going to try my best at that route. So I played, I really played baseball a lot growing up. Um, baseball was a very big part of my childhood. I was, you know, coming from New York, Spanish kid, everybody's a Yankees fan, like everybody plays baseball, you know? So, you know, baseball was was big and, and I was really trying to go to college for baseball. I was really trying to go play for the Yankees because that seemed more realistic to me than being a professional wrestler. I don't know why. It's funny looking back at it now, but it seemed it seemed more realistic. You know, it seemed like the normal Spanish kid thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. and my father had me boxing in my junior high school, high school years. And baseball was a big part of my high school years as well. I played varsity as a freshman. But my first high school, I got kicked out of the high school three months in. So I didn't even get to do baseball tryouts. And then my second high school, I tried out. I made the varsity team as a freshman. And I played in that high school for three years. And then I get kicked out of that high school my junior year, at the end of my junior year. I get kicked out. And so I go to my new school, third school for my senior year. I was a troublemaker. I was always fighting. And I wouldn't really say I was a troublemaker. I was bad. But I was always fighting because people try to bully me because I was smaller, you know. Um, so my senior year, I go to this third high school and they already have their team. You know, they've had the same varsity team for two plus years. Like they're not about to sit their shortstop dude down to put the kid that's been kicked out of two other schools on the team, you know. So I played. Uh, but I it was too late like there was nobody looking at me like no scholarships came nothing you know like it was just wasted talent you know hindsight looking back I don't think I ever would have made it to the major leagues Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't know you know Um, but that kind of left me some somewhere along the lines of I didn't know what I was going to do after high school you know I never had a job I never knew what what I wanted to be when I grew up because wrestling didn't seem realistic. Acting didn't seem realistic. So I joined the military. Um, and I never wanted to be in the military, but uh, around 2009, 2008, 2009, call of duty was like the game. Yeah. You know, modern warfare had just came out. Everybody was playing it online and the Marines were the main character. Like they made the Marines look so badass in that video. <laughs> You know, um, and I remember playing this game with one of my dudes that I knew from high school and we were just playing it. And then the next day at lunch, you know, he was like, yo, if he's like, and everybody knew Toro. His last name was Toro. His first name was Kenny. Everybody knew Toro was going to the Marines. He already had enlisted his junior year. He enlisted very young. He was just waiting to graduate high school so that he can go. And one day he was like, hey, if you come with me to my recruiting station, I'll give you, I'll, I'll buy you a slice. He's like, I'll buy you like a slice of pizza or I'll buy you a pie. Like, I was like, oh shit. Like, I, all I gotta do is come with you and I'm gonna get free pizza. Like, fuck yeah, you know, like <laughs> right on, you know, let's do it. And I go into this recruiting office. I walk in through this door and this staff sergeant, my name's Staff Sergeant Angel Rosario. We call him Ricky Ross, the boss. Um, he looks me up and down and I'm wearing baggy, baggy jeans, big t shirt. That was the style back then, of, like what the rappers were wearing, I guess, you know. <laughs> Um, and he looks at me, he's like, this kid can't be a Marine, get him out of my office, send him to the army recruiting station across the street. And I, I just remember like, okay, like whatever. I wasn't joining shit. I never had any intentions on joining. So he's just kicking me out of his office. I'm just thinking to myself, do I still get my fucking pizza? Like, <laughs> like, is that still a thing? So I remember walking out, but because he, he ordered me to go across, he was just so, he was in his like service blue um deltas which is like the dress blue version the marines wear but with the khaki mm-hmm. shirt but with the nice blue pants and the white hat he just looked fresh you know and super professional he had a huge stack of ribbons he had been deployed he you know he had did some things in the military and um 
so I, I just followed his orders and I started walking across to go talk to this army recruiter. And I just remember this, this soldier coming out of the recruiting station. He, he lights a cigarette. He puts a cigarette in his mouth and then his phone rings and he reaches in his pocket with a cigarette in his hand, pulls the phone out, blows the whatever the hell out of his mouth and answers. And, and I'm not, ta- I don't want to sound like I'm talking bad about the army, but it just looked so unprofessional to me compared to what I had just seen the Marine do, you know? Mm-hmm. He didn't smell like cigarettes. He smelled like cologne. The office smelled clean. His uniform was pressed. This guy's wearing camis and a cigarette. Like, I never smoked a cigarette in my life, you know? So, like, it was just a turnoff to me. And and I just remember sitting there, like, for a second, like, this is how he sees me because of how I'm dressed. Like, he really thinks that I can't do this. I never had any attention to join the military. You got, like, people ask my parents all the time. I never spoke about it. But that day, I walked back into his office and said, I'm going to join the Marines. I probably was the easiest person he ever recruited in his life because it was no fight. I just did it because I felt challenged, you know? I felt like he wanted me to rise to the challenge. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, he's like, okay, I bet you can't even pass the ASVAB test. Took the test. I passed it. I go home that day. Didn't even get my pizza, by the way. So I need to give Kenny Toro the call. Never <laughs> for that day. But I, I go home. I talk to my mom and my dad. I was like, so how y'all feel about me joining the Marine Corps? And they were like, what? And it's crazy because when I was a kid, I, I, was, I was a little badass. They will, do you remember? I don't know if you remember. Back in the day when Jerry Springer or like Maury would have like the drill sergeants come and yell at the yes. bad kid. Oh, like yeah. Those are the coolest episodes. You just see kids that think they're tough getting fucking blasted and like all this stuff, right? And I just remember my parents always threatening me. We're going to send you over there. We're going to send you there if you keep acting up, you know? They always made these empty promises about how they were going to send me to Maury to get, have drills spit <laughs> all over my face. And I was like, jokes on you guys. I'm going to the real deal now. So um, I, I enlisted. They, they had to sign me up because I was only 17. So they had to give me permission. Um, fast forward, you know, I ended up becoming one of those drill instructors that had <laughs> trained. So when like recruits were going to Marine Corps boot camp, I was, a drill instructor training over 350 Marines uh, to become basically trained Marines in the Marine Corps boot camp. So this is a crazy story. And, you know, it, just, it all started because Call of Duty, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> After the first day of the Marine Corps, what yeah. was the main mission you were hoping to accomplish for yourself while you were enlisting? Hmm. Did you have a goal that you were hoping to kind of like change your personality, change like your mindset? I didn't really, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know what to want from it. Um, I didn't even really pick a job that I cared for. I just wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And I guess a part of me, a lot of my friends back then called me Hollywood because I always wanted to go to Hollywood. Like I always wanted to be in movies. I wanted to be on TV. And I, I just didn't know how to get there. Like I didn't know how to leave New York. A lot of people from New York get stuck in the New York state of mind, you know, that empire state of mind. You're in the melting pot and you can't leave. Like, People never leave New York unless they're going to Florida. <laughs> like that's, that's <laughs> you know, like all we know is our little block, four block radius. And I just remember looking at it as a way to like get out. Mm-hmm. I was like, maybe I want to go see the world. Maybe I'll find who I'm supposed to be by doing this. And boot camp sucked. <laughs> like it wasn't. It was really intense. I was always physically fit, like in shape, where I can do that kind of stuff but the mental part that yeah. was the that was the trip you know like they broke me they broke me about two weeks in it was a mix of being homesick because I never left home just being around 90 sweaty smelly dudes you know like just being told when I could eat when I could shower when I could sleep you know it was just like it was a huge adjustment for me and you know I remember just like doing I was doing push-ups on the quarter deck in full gear, so I was dripping sweat, and I don't really sweat. Like I'm sorry, even to this day, I barely sweat. I was dripping sweat, and this drill instructor's name was Drill Instructor Sergeant Askew. I never forget his name, but he made us call him Drill Instructor Sergeant Sir because we didn't rate to call him by his last name. We didn't earn it yet, right? So he was just this complete professional, looked like a action figure. You know, like if I was gonna buy a Marine Corps action figure, it looked just like this dude. And uh, he was just so intense and so demanding. And, and you you couldn't even question it because 
you respected him. Like he just had this swagger to him that was like, like all right, this dude's the real deal, you know? Like, and, and I just remember sitting there and I'm dripping sweat and I'm pissed and I'm like punching the floor because I'm angry. And then I just remember him catching my sweat and like licking it. And he's like, I got your soul now, bitch. And that was it. I was like, and when he said that, it was like a wake up call. I was like, ah, this is just a game. Like, he wants this. He wants to see me break. And I just remember that day thinking to myself, I'm going to be you. Like, I'm going to do this one day. It was crazy. I, I did. <laughs> Prior to that moment, did you feel like giving up? Like, wanting yeah. to leave? I wanted to leave. But you can't You can't leave. You know, once you're there, you're there. Yeah. People think they can leave, but you can't really leave. Like, you're stuck. <laughs> you know, the fastest way out of there is to graduate. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life because even though – there are some things I don't like about the Marine Corps. There are some things I did like. There are some things I miss. There's some things I don't miss. It was a life-changing experience. It took me places I never would have been. You know, my first duty station, I lived in Japan for two years. I was in Okinawa. You know, I went to Thailand, Cambodia, Malaysia, the Philippines, Australia, and all these little deployments. These, these, uh, I was with the 31st Mew, Marine Expeditionary Unit. So we, like, go on ship and, like, go to these locations and train or, like, do some kind of missions and stuff like that. And then when the tsunami hit, uh, mainland Japan in 2011, that 8.5 earthquake, I was part of the human- the first humanitarian mission team that went there to go help with that issue mm-hmm. with the Japanese locals. So it took me there. Then it brought me to California and I finally got to Cali. And I just remember being, okay, like I'm here. Like Hollywood is right up the road, you know, two hours yeah. away. Like, how do I get there? You know, like, like I was, I had about a year left on my contract for my first four years. And I was like, okay, I'm getting out. This is it. And then I find out that the girl that I was dating, she's pregnant. Oh. With my daughter, Khaleesi, um, who's nine years old now. She's an actress. She's in movies, commercials. <laughs> she's she's living the real Hollywood dream, you know? Um, beautiful little girl. Uh, her name's Khaleesi. We got the name from Game of Thrones, me and her mom. So I re-enlisted. Um, I re-enlisted because I wanted to make sure that I was going to be able to provide for my daughter. You know, I wanted to be there, you know. I didn't have any money in savings. I was young and dumb and spent my money on stupid shit like cars and alcohol and clothes, you know, like just partying, you know. Um, So I have this beautiful little girl. And it's kind of crazy when you think about it because I'm wrestling now because of my daughter, like. We have her on April 20. She's a 420 baby. April 20th, 2014. <laughs> in August of 2014, she's about four months now. I have her in the little stroller thing. And my daughter, my daughter had very was very advanced in her motor skills. So like her hands and like she just was like very advanced at a young age. And I'm pushing her down target. And I just remember her smacking some movies down. Because I was in the movie section. I, I used to have this thing where I would go collect. I would go. I wanted to collect all of Denzel Washington's movies. He's my favorite actor. So, like, I would always buy his new Blu-rays or whatever. Um, and she just knocked some movies down. So, I go pick them up because I didn't want to be that parent. And in that, there was, like, six of them she knocked down. One of them was The Rock's Top 10 Greatest Matches. And I looked at it and I was like, man, I haven't watched wrestling in years. Like, you know, like, I hadn't seen it since I was younger. So it was like $10 or something like that. I was like, I was like all right, whatever, I'll buy it. It's $10, you know? <laughs> so I go home. I put my daughter in a bopper. It's like a little, put a little thing where you sit kids on. Give her a bottle. I turn the Rock's top 10 matches on. And then her mom comes home from work. And she's like, why is my daughter watching wrestling? <laughs> she's like, why is Dwayne Johnson wrestling? She had no idea that Dwayne Johnson was a wrestler before he was Dwayne Johnson. Cause she never watched wrestling. I was like, what did you just say? Like, why is Dwayne Johnson, Dwayne Johnson's The Rock. Why is The Rock acting? Like, that was like my response to her. Like, we want him back in the ring, you know? Um, and she had never seen it. So I look online, like, you know, it might be a cool date to go see wrestling one day, you know? It just so happened that the next week they were coming to San Diego. It's like perfect timing. So I was like, oh, I'll get a babysitter. Let's get let's go watch wrestling. You know, she never been. We went to a live show at the Valley View Casino in San Diego. Um, had a great ass time. And as I was leaving, I ran into one of my friends who was in the military that was training to be a professional wrestler. And he's like, Yeah, man, I'm training to be a professional wrestler. 
I had never known what independent wrestling was. I didn't know what the indies were. I didn't know what New Japan Pro Wrestling was. I didn't know Ring of Honor. All I knew was WWF, mm-hmm. now WWE, and WCW. And I didn't really watch WCW because WWF had The Rock. So I was like, I don't need to see that, you know? Um, <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean you're trained to be a wrestler? Like, how do you do that? You know, like, I, I thought WWE was like the NBA. Like, you had to wrestle in, in high school and, and get a scholarship to wrestle in college and then get signed from college, you know? I didn't know that there was, like, independent wrestling all over the world. And so he sends me the location. I start training to be a wrestler. Um, my my daughter's mom, you know, I always give her a shout out every time I tell this story because she paid for my first few classes of wrestling training because I was paying most of the bills. So she had to play money. So she she paid for me to train to be a wrestler. Um, I got paid $20 for my first job. <laughs> <laughs> and she was pissed. She's like, I'm paying, it was like $140 a month or something like that. So I pay $140 a month and you you wrestle and you only make $20. This is stupid. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, she's like, there's no real money in this. I was like, how much did we how much did we pay to go see wrestling when we went? I think we, I think we had like $120 tickets each. I was, I was like, so we paid $120 each for our ticket. And that venue was full. You don't think there's money to be made? And it's like it's on TV every week. What do you think mm-hmm. for years? I was like, this is where it starts. Um, so that was in 2014. Uh, I, I had my first match like two months or three months after training or something like that. And then I stopped for a while because I went to go be a drill instructor. Um, and I had no time when I was training recruits. So I, I wrestled from 2014 to 2016, the beginning. And then I stopped to go be a drill instructor. Um, and so from 2016 to 2018, I, I didn't wrestle at all. I came back 2019. And I went full force. I got out of the military and went full force into wrestling. Um, and in 2020, that's when I did my work with New Japan. That's when I did my work with AEW. And then that's when things kind of just took off for me, which is crazy because that was during the pandemic. And a lot of people, I know I feel bad for a lot of people that, you know, businesses closed down, jobs were lost. But it opened up a window for me because a lot of people didn't want to travel. Mm-hmm. And I risked it. I was like, I'll, try, I'll take these opportunities nobody else wants to get my name out there. And that's when it kind of worked out for me. When you were training, what was your kind of style that you're going for? Like you have the powerhouse, you have the high flyers, you have the technicians. What was yeah. your style that you were training? I was for? a high flyer. You know, I, I wanted to do the stuff I seen Rey Mysterio doing, the stuff I seen Jeff Hardy doing, because I didn't see myself. I wasn't big. You know, I wasn't tall. I couldn't I couldn't do the stuff that The Rock did, or I couldn't do the stuff that Undertaker did, or like, you know. Uh, and if I if I had knew more about wrestling at the time, like if I knew about all these other companies, then I would have been able to study more wrestlers and understand how to make it all make sense. So at first I was just doing all these crazy cool flips, dump, those kind of things in the ring. You know, I really wanted to be a high flyer and take risks and get the excitement from the crowd. And over time, it just progressed. The smarter I got to the business, the better I got, the more weight I put on, the bigger I got. You know, and now I wrestle. I'm a mix of everything because I, I can fly. I can do power moves now. I can grapple. You know, I can be the technician. You know, I I, I, I basically took everything and put it into one style and grabbed the microphone and said, this is the icing on the cake right here, being able to talk shit. <laughs> you got the opportunity to work with a lot of big promotions. One of them you just mentioned was AEW. And during that time was the pandemic time. What was the opportunity like for you to be part of something that was pretty brand new at the time, but a, a way to get your name out there to a larger fan base? Yeah, um, it was one of the best experiences of my life, man. I really want to thank Tony Khan and everybody involved at the time, you know, that was giving me the chances that nobody else was taking or giving me the chances that they weren't giving other people, you know, I, I took it as an opportunity. I ran with it. I, I remember the first time I went down there, you know, the first match I had, it was me, um, me and the Jersey muscles, a tag team from New Jersey. I had my first time meeting them against the Jurassic Express. At the time it was Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus and Marco Stunt. That was my first match. And the next match was a tag match with Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. And then I, I, I kind of showed them that I can go, you know, it was kind of mm-hmm. like, all right, this, this kid, you know, he, he has something. The next match I had was with Brian Cage. And I, I, I really, I, 
I don't thank Brian enough. Um, I love him and his, you know, his wife, Melissa, their beautiful daughter, their family is awesome. They're great people. But Brian Cage is probably one of the most selfless wrestlers in the world. The guy, you know, for those who don't know Brian Cage, big Jack looks like incredible Hulk with a mohawk, badass dude, but he moves like he's 190 pounds, you know, super athletic. And I have this match with him at the time. He's the FTW champion. So he's a champion. Um, he's a huge star. And here I am, some new kid, getting a crack. I don't know, my first one I won with the company. Um, and I just remember there was a small live crowd because it happened before Dynamite started. Um, and I just remember him really making me look like I, like I belonged. Like really, he really gave me the opportunity to shine. And I just remember going to the back and, you know, Tony Khan being very proud and very happy with the match. And then after that, it's like they just kept feeding me opportunities. Matt Seidel, you know, Ray Phoenix. And the next, before I knew it, I'm in the ring on Dynamite with Kenny Omega. You know, and at the time, it was this huge, the, the forbidden door open for the first time. The Good Brothers came from Impact. It was Impact, Impact's tag champions, Carl Anderson and Doc Gallows. Again, and Kenny Omega against me and the Varsity Blondes, who was Brian Pillman and Griff Garrison at the time on Dynamite. Um, there was a huge story going on with with the Young Bucks and Kenny. What's going? There was just a huge, huge thing that happened in wrestling that hadn't been done before. And the first time it happens, I'm in the match, and I just remember working Kenny Omega for the first since the first time, who's easily the best wrestler in the world, and it's like not close. For so many reasons. And and unless you've been in the room with Kenny Omega, unless you've had a chance to speak to Kenny Omega, you, you don't really understand it. You know he's good, but you don't really understand it. it, it it's like it's like seeing LeBron James or Michael Jordan play basketball. Like you know they're good, but until you play against them, then you're like they're like they're great. You know what I'm saying? Like does that make sense? Yeah. It's, it's like watching Mayweather box in his prime or Tyson box in his prime and then say, man, this guy's good. But then you actually see him knock somebody out and you're like, oh shit, this guy's great. Like that's how I felt with Kenny Omega. And I, and I know a lot of people are like, oh, like Kenny Omega is this and this and that. Like people have their own opinion of how they feel wrestling should be, but the man's a genius in the business. And on a night where President Trump at the time was getting impeached, right? I was trending on Twitter and I, because of this match with Kenny Omega. And I'm like, oh shit, like I'm trending over Donald Trump. Like, what's going on right now? Like, it was that was the moment for me. You know, I got, you know, AEW signed me but for a short term contract at the time. I got to have all these great matches. I wrestled John Moxley, you know, got to get in the ring with Eddie Kingston for the first time. I wrestled Kanosuke to catch down his first match ever in AEW, wrestled Kenny Omega again. It was just so much fun. You know, and and I'm forever grateful for the opportunities that I had at AEW. Hopefully, one day I could come back. Um, but all of that happened because you know there were wrestlers before me that gave me chances that that saw something in me. The business, I feel like when you do good business and you and you really work hard, it pays you back at some point. You get your chance, and when you get that chance in the limelight, you either fail or you don't. You know. When that contract ended, did you feel that you were ready for that next chapter, that next promotion? Or honestly, like I was a little immature at the time, and I, I'm I'm fully responsible for why I'm not with AEW no more. Um, I felt like I just wasn't conducting myself to the highest standard possible. You know, we were in the middle of a pandemic, and I was trying to go party, and I was at the club, and I was just I was just doing things that. I was never, I wasn't getting in trouble, you know, like I wasn't showing up late. I wasn't like drunk at work, nothing like that. You know, like I didn't get in trouble with the law. It was just not professional, you know, and I, and I, the, the exact words was when your maturity matches, when your maturity outside of the ring matches your maturity in the ring, we could talk again. So, you know, who knows if I would have just conducted myself the right way where I'd be right now, but I think everything happens for a reason. So after AW and I split, um, you know, it was no bad, bad feelings. Like, I don't have any hard feelings. I'm super thankful for the time, you know. And and I understood where they were coming from, you know. Like, it makes sense to me why. But that just gave me the opportunity to go to try other companies. You know, I went to MLW, and they were the first company that really handed me a live microphone and was like, we trust you with this. And that, to me, was 
my where, where I really started separating myself from other wrestlers, in my opinion. You know, a lot of people could wrestle. Not everybody's charismatic enough to put people in the seats or make people want to see you wrestle. Mm-hmm. And one thing that nobody could take from me is I'm one of the best wrestlers ever on the mic. And I'll stand by that with anybody. Whoever don't like it, tell them, pick up a microphone. Somebody, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? So that that led me to MLW. I kept working with New Japan, started doing things with AAA in Mexico. Um, and, and then I kept working where I was born at. You know, United Wrestling Network was my, was my homegrown company. Um, David Marquez was the guy that really gave me my first shot in this business. He taught me how to work TV. So when I got to AEW in those places, I was already ready for TV wrestling because I learned at United. So I just went full force into United Wrestling. And then, you know, here I am now. Um, it'll be 200 days on Thursday that I'm the United Wrestling Network world champ. You've had the opportunity to hold gold in a few promotions. With the gold, if you're just listening, check out the video. You can see the big gold he's wearing right now. (laughs) What does that mean to you to represent as a champion? Because it's more than just being on screen, but you're kind of a figure for that Mm -hmm. company being a part as a champion. So for me, like, it's very important. It's special. You know, this company is investing time, money. You know, I'm the flag, I'm the world champion. That means I'm the guy, like I'm the flag bearer for this company. But, you know, I was MLW world tag team champion. I went to IWA in Puerto Rico for Savio Vega, became world tag team champion in Puerto Rico simultaneously with the MLW tag championships and the United Wrestling Network world tag team championships. Me and the Bodega had the world tag team championships, United Wrestling. I was champion, no limits champion in Vegas, BWE SoCal champion. I just started collecting championships everywhere I went. And now, you know, this this year, uh, as of January, I had three championships. Um, I finally, lo- uh, finally lost two of them, and now I'm still the world champion. So, like, it's just, I just, it's just, it's been, it's been super dope to be able to represent these companies, to be able to promote for these companies, to be a face for these companies, to be someone when you think of that company. Oh yeah, this guy's the champion there. Oh yeah, Limelight's the champion there. That to me is important because now I'm the guy they want to fight. You know, the yeah. line for this championship is back around the building right now. You know, I got guys like Tito. I got guys like Invictus Cash coming after me. You know, Moose is after me from Impact. There's a whole bunch of people that want that want United Wrestling Network World Gold, and they got to kill me for it. So I want to talk about a post on social media that you did with your daughter, who actually got to be part of an opportunity with you. Talk about that meaning to you as a wrestler, but also as a father and being had both lives come together. Oh man, it was, <laughs> I think it was pretty cool because, you know, my daughter was part of the, re- like, she helped me. She, I told you the story, you know, about how I got into wrestling. She was part of that reason. And and when she was very little, you know, in August of 2014, it was SummerSlam pay-per-view. Um, and I remember I made a video with her of us wrestling. She was a baby. Like I'm like play fighting as I'm carrying her and do making her do all these things. And at one point, I make her do like a, a stone cold stunner on me. And then I have her like hop up to the couch and do like a frog splash on me. And the video went like viral on Facebook. Right. And I just posted it before SummerSlam for fun. You know, it went crazy viral. You know, as my daughter got older, she started watching wrestling. You know, she loved watching it. And, um, but this was the first time, you know, in a long time that she had came to one of my shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had stopped coming for a while because I had got hurt one time and it kind of scared her. So she would only watch it if I sent her the match after, and I'm like, and I would only send her the ones that were, where I was the winner, so she wouldn't feel, <laughs> you know, like she wouldn't feel bad. And just her, her coming and her being so down to be a part of it, like she killed it. Like for, for everybody who's seen the clip, like everything she did was so smooth and effortless in the ring. Like she belonged it. Before the match, I'm talking shit on the microphone. I give it to her. She says a promo. She talks some stuff, and then in the match. So to give people context, I had been feuding with this kid named Bodie for six months in Vegas. He's a young prodigy, kid, 16 years old, right? Awesome wrestler. Uh, at the time, I was a No Limits champion. I was calling myself the No Limits Poppy. And I said, there's no limit in what I'll say on this microphone and no limit what I'll do in the ring to you. And I had been calling him my my stepson because he's a kid. And like, he, he, like his mom is separated from his dad. We got real personal with the program. Um, and I was telling his mom I'm going to be his new stepdad. Was this whole thing. And it just so happened that the culmination match after I had been beating this kid and bullying him for six months was on father's day. And I just remember like telling him that, like, I was like, you know, pulling the curtain back 
real quick so people could get understand. I was like, I was like, I've been doing this to you for six months. Like you cannot be the I'm happy to be here, young prodigy kid. Like you have to come into this angry. I've been disrespecting you. I've been disrespecting your mom. Like you need to bring it. And I just remember him cutting a promo and saying something about how I, I call him my stepson that I have other kids out there in the world that whether I can see them or not is on me. Right. So he, he gets real personal back talking about my kids, which I loved, you know, I love the business and, and I love, I'm like, this is, this is the energy that we need for this program. And he's like, you should bring, you should make some calls and bring your kids so they can see me as a real role model and see how much of a loser you are. Something like I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but something along those lines. And I was like, it's father's day. I'm going to have my daughter. I'm like, this is perfect. Like it couldn't get anything. It could not have been written any better. And I just remember contacting Joe from FSW, Future Stars of Wrestling, Las Vegas. And I was like, what if I brought my daughter and got her involved in the match? And Joe was like, you know, Joe, I love Joe. He's a Puerto Rican guy. He's great. He loves the business. He, he's, he's, he's one of the good ones. And he's like, I just don't want it to be all goofy and kook, like, you know, corny and whatever. I can't remember what word he used, but it was like one of those words about he don't want it to be stupid because it's my, my little girl doing something to this kid. And then I looked, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, Joe, you have, the plan is for this 16 year old kid to beat me. I'm a 10 year Marine Corps veteran with a, tons of combat experience, especially combat sports. I was like, if it's believable that he can beat me, it's believable that my daughter, who's just a little bit younger than him, could catch him off guard and do mm-hmm. something. I mean, you've ever, you, for people who listen in, tuning in, you've ever been hit by a kid not expecting it? Sometimes the shit hurts. <laughs> You'll have a kid smack you in the face with a controller or just punch you in the face. You know, if you get caught off slipping, like it hurts. So the way we set it up, um, and this is not like, tooting my own horn but i'm like i need to make it make sense like this needs to be good because people are either gonna love it or it's gonna be real stupid you know so in the match i've been i've been through i I escalated so it started with her talking smack and then like at one point i like put his head on the ropes and i grabbed the ref and she like choked him on the rope from the outside and then another point like i put him down and i i grabbed the ref again and she smacks him like she was doing little by little things like to this kid and like the crowd is getting, she's getting, she's a girl, little girl getting heat. Crowd is booing the crap out of her. Like it's amazing. And throughout the match, I'm talking smack to Bodie's mom who's sitting ringside. <clears throat> and then I set it up. I'm like, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to come for this kick that I always do in the corner and I'll pretend I hurt myself. Like I'll pretend I pull my hamstring. That'll give me a moment to stop. Everybody be like, what's going on? I could grab the ref, completely pull the ref away from what's going on. But Bodie's, who have, would have just been kicked in the face could be dazed out. I was like, when this happens, my Lisi, I call my daughter, her name's Khaleesi, we call her Lisi. Like, Lisi, you hop in the ring, you grab his arm, you do your rope walk and jump off and hit him with my finishing move, which is a tornado DDT. So he's dazed. He don't see her jump. You know, she's 60 pounds or however much she weighs. She jumps, she grabs his head and pulls his head down. The momentum took him down, rocks him. The, the place went crazy. Like, I remember sitting sitting there and just listening. Like I could barely see it happening because ref- I had the ref in my face, but the- I could hear everything. And I'm like, beautiful. Because she did what one, a lot of wrestlers can't do. Mm-hmm. From the promo to the, the, the getting in the ring smoothly, walking the rope fast without stumbling, nothing jumping, laying him out, and then smoothly hopping out of the ring, looking right at the camera and shrugging it off. Like, yep, I did. <laughs> and the crowd starts chanting, holy shit, holy shit. And it was Father's Day. And it, it, uh, it led it led right into the finish of the match. When Bodie's mom finally gets involved, and she gets her payback for all the shit that I put her through. And just, it was just awesome storytelling. And, and even though I lost the match, it was a cool-ass moment for me. One of my favorite moments ever. Because I made the kid a star in Las Vegas, and I got to share that moment with my daughter, yep. who after the match was taking pictures and signing autographs, you know. So, <laughs> but I knew I, I I believed in her, and I knew she could do it because she's already acting on camera, she's already in film, she's already you know she's 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 she trains, you know, like I, she's she's not a lazy kid. Like we had her in gymnastics, we put her in dancing, we put her in all this kind of physical stuff that I knew she was going to be able to do it. Did I think it was going to be executed that flawlessly? No. 
but the fact that they did is pretty dope. Just seeing the video and people not knowing the context behind how you guys got involved, it's just amazing. And when I saw him, like, she's doing it better than some of the people that are already doing it for <laughs> a year. Yep. And it's just now hearing the story and how special it is for you, it makes it even so heartwarming to hear because especially being on Father's Day, having that bond with your daughter, but you enjoyed it. And she got to have that fun for that amount of time and just be a fun kid, basically. Well, I mean, I, I remember being a kid and wishing I could be in the ring, you know? <laughs> it, was a, it was a sold out show. That whole crowd went, it erupted for her. Like that place went crazy for her. And she stood in character the whole time when most kids probably would have geeked out and been a kid. Yeah. She was professional. She understood the assignment and she did that. Looking at a fun question, who is a dream opponent that is wrestling now that maybe one day you hope to face off in the ring? Oh, man, I have so many. I'd love love to wrestle Kenny Omega one-on-one, Will Ospreay, Ricochet, uh, Hiromu Tanahashi. Who else? I said Haroon, I said Tanahashi, Kenny, Will, Ricochet. Those are like off the top of my head, you know, the guys like Roman Reigns, you know, is like the other guy, you know, like I just I, everybody. I want to wrestle everybody. You know, Jay White is another guy on my list. I feel like I'd, I could have a really good match with Jay White. Um, man, it's just... When I start thinking about dream opponents, I start thinking, like, my mind goes crazy. Like, oh, I wish I could wrestle Brock. I wish I could wrestle Rey Mysterio. You know, like, this is all these people that, you you know, Chris Jericho, That's he still wrestles, right? Like, I would love to do that, you know? So this, this is just a list that goes on and on. Do you feel that with wrestling, it's giving you opportunities in other areas like acting, stunts, things like that, to give you that kind of motivation to go out there and do what you want to do? Yeah, I think the wrestling helped me a lot. It kind of led me into stunts, and then stunts kind of took me into the acting. And between doing, you know, auditions and wrestling and stuff like that, like I have an audition I got to do today for a movie, um, you know, and just being able to work with some people already in Hollywood, being on a Netflix show with Michelle Yu, working on NCIS, you know, doing some cool films and commercials. Like, I've had a blast. You know, I, I'm an award-winning filmmaker. I wrote my own film, my short action film. We won six awards at the festivals. You know, I acted in it. I started in it. I did my own stunts in it. I produced it. I did everything <laughs> except direct it. That's the only thing I did. Is my friend <laughs> Miko directed the film. And, and, you know, I have so many more goals, so much more things that I want to do. And I think the, the wrestling gave me the confidence for that and vice versa. Getting the training for acting and getting the training for stunt works makes me a better wrestler. You know, I could do things different with my body now. The acting helps me with facials. It helps me with body language. It helps me with what I say in the microphone. And having that improv skills where I'm the flack, I say whatever I want. Um, it's it's They go hand in hand for me, and I can see why it makes people like The Rock, Batista, John Cena, such successful actors. The wrestling came from wrestling, you know, and now like Mercedes Monet, formerly known as Sasha Banks, she's the next one. She'll probably be the first female superstar mm-hmm. from wrestler turned actor. You talked about when you left AEW, immaturity was there. Do you feel you have matured since that time to where you are today? Yes, because when it first happened, I was upset. You know, and now looking back, I could see my mistakes. You know, I'm mature enough to understand why the company needs to do that. I'm mature enough to understand where I needed to improve at. I'm a way different person than I was two years ago. You know, it's been over two years now that I left AEW. Um, and I, I've grown tremendously in the ring and outside the ring, but more importantly, outside the ring. You know, I'm not partying like I used to. I'm not doing a lot of stuff that I used to do. I, I got it out of my system. I learned the hard way. You know, now I want nothing more but to get another chance to show everybody how good I am. Has injuries ever played an effect in your career? And does it ever make you worry, like, how much longer can I do this? Or how much longer do I want to do this? Um. Injuries, I've separated my shoulder. I've split my head, had to get staples. Um, I'm just too stubborn, and I, I never take the time I need to recover properly, and I always rush my recovery to get back in the ring. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes feel injuries lingering. Sometimes, you know, my shoulder may hurt, my knee may hurt. I might be a little bit more sore this day than the next. Um, 
but fortunately, thank God, I've never had like an injury that's kept me out, you know, or an injury that I'm like scared of is going to happen again. You know, I kind of just I wrestle a lot smarter now anyways. And I'm not taking the unnecessary risks that I used to take when I first started. Mm-hmm. I think that's helped me a lot, at least with longevity. But obviously, I can't do this forever. You know, not everybody's as good as Chris Jericho who can do it when he's in his 50s, yeah. you know, or even Sting still wrestling. You know, like I think that this is my vehicle right now. And then eventually it'll take me to bigger, better things in Hollywood, you know, and I have more things. I want to write my book. I have a lot of things that I want to do after the entertainment industry. Um, But as of right now, I'm just enjoying this ride. For someone that's listening to this interview that wants to get into professional wrestling, what would you tell them so that they can know that this is the direction that they should go, or they are making the decision that's best for them? I would just say, make sure it's something you really want. Um, make sure that you're not doing it for the get rich quick scheme because it's not going to happen. Get proper training, go to a reputable school. I sound like a hypocrite saying be humble and be quiet because when I first came in, I was a hothead. You know, I was coming from the military. Like I had this chip on my shoulder because all the stuff I did in real life, but it's a, it's a business. So you have to be able to give and take more, more take than give when you first start. Um, but if it's something that you really want, you have to understand it's going to be long hours on the road, a lot of time away from home, your body's going to ache, and, and and it's not for everybody. It's really not. If it was for everybody, it wouldn't be a thing, you know? It's like any other sport, except it's more more damaging on your body, in my opinion. You know, I, I've played baseball, I've boxed, I've, I've, some, some worse than others, but if this is something that you want, go after it. Understand that your friends and family aren't going to support right away. Sometimes, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you're lucky and they do, but you're going to lose more money than you make at first, you know? And, and as long as you grind and you work hard, like the great macho man, Randy Savage said, the cream always rises to the top. Something that we like to do with all of our listeners is learn more about the guests. When you are out in public and people have seen you on TV, they've seen you on YouTube. Do they feel that you are still that Danny Limelight out in public, or do they think that they, when they see you, they're like, "This is not the guy we just saw on TV. He's totally different." This is a good question because a lot of the women I date, <laughs> <laughs> they they think they're gonna get that version. You know, they think they're gonna get what they see on Instagram or on TV or YouTube. <laughs> but I'm very different, honestly. Like, I dress the same, like. Mm-hmm. I carry myself a certain way. Everything I say on the microphone is real. I don't lie. I don't say something because it sounds cool. I only say what I live. Um, I've always been a very confident person. I've always carried myself with confidence and swagger. Um, but Daniel Lama is someone I made up. You know, it's me, but it's it's not who I am every day. It's it's who I wish I could confidently be every day with all situations in life. You know, I wish I could just do this little dance, call myself Poppy and call it a day. But, you know, that's not how it works. Um, but I just turned up the volume uh, on my life to a thousand, you know, and to portray this, to pray, portray myself in a larger than life way. But I still make sure I, I'm, I'm relatable to the to the fans because nobody could, if you're relatable, if they could feel what you're saying, if they, if they could understand your pain, you make more money that way, you know. Yeah. Like they could, they could, they give you the sympathy when you're a good guy, and they give you the hate when you're a bad guy because they get it. And I think that some people see me a certain way because of the character I portray, but I feel like my close friends and the people that actually know me, and even the people that listen to, to podcasts like this, when I start really talking, oh, he, he's, he's, he's not that guy, you know, he's cool as fuck, but, or he's a dick on TV, but you know, depending when I usually I'm a bad guy. So right now I've been portraying a good guy on TV, but usually I'm a bad guy and they hate me, but when they get to know me and shit, like, they're okay with it you know <laughs> do you ever they, feel... buy poppy a, they buy poppy a drink after the show <laughs> do you ever feel pressure with being a public figure that everything you do you have to be careful like what you say what you pose what you do out in public because you know media outlets will catch it yeah. right away and then that could change your career or yeah. what happens with the promotions you do work with that that goes along with the maturity thing. You know, like I used to post videos on Instagram, me partying in the club with 10 to 15 girls in the section, bottles of Hennessy and wilding out and living a certain life. But 
letting everybody in. Like sometimes it's not good to let everybody in. Sometimes some things you keep to yourself or just be professional or conduct yourself in a professional way. Um, I, I'm smarter now. I'm mature. I know what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing, you know, especially for where I want to go in life. And I think that's the most important thing is this is what you want. This is where you want to be. Certain things need to stop, you know? So when you're not wrestling, when you're not working, what do you like to do for fun? What do you do on your relaxing days, your days off? I like to go to the movies. I watch movies. I love movies. Cinema has always been my thing since I was a kid. Still my thing now. Um, I like to shop. I like to sit up on my rooftop pool by the jacuzzi, you know, with some mimosas and my homegirls and just enjoy the weather. Um, I love taking my kids to Dave and Buster's, Disneyland, like that kind of stuff. Um I, I'm not a fan of hikes, but I like working out. You know, I like going to the gym, eating. I eat a lot. I like trying to restaurants. Um, what else? I like to read and write. Um, I write a lot. I read a lot. A lot of people don't know that about me. I, I, I like to read and write um, and just like educate myself. You know, I go to school. Um, that keeps me pretty busy as well. But other than that, man, like being a dad, like that shit is dope. <laughs> <laughs> The final question I'll ask you for someone that's listening to this interview based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Oh, man, that's a good question. For me, I, Alex, I think it's like to want anything in life, like you have to want it as bad as you want to breathe. And this is something that I learned in the military. Um, there's a quote that said, if you want something in life, you have to want it as bad as you want to breathe. What happens if you stop breathing, you die. So you have to breathe. You have to do it to live. If you want something, if you're passionate about something, you have to locate, close with, and destroy the objective. Like, you have to put the effort in. I believe in the universe. I believe in alignment. I believe in manifestation. But if you're not putting in the work, if you're not grinding, if you're not making the effort, you're not trying to rise to the challenge, you're going to fall flat. Well, Danny, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much, Alex. It's great. I mean, to do this again sometime. Tune in next time. Hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.